Hello Game of Loans fans, it's Sam here again with another action-packed episode for you today and amazingly I've managed to persuade the awesome Matt Baker to come onto the show today to talk to us all about HMOs, Um, not just the good stuff but the not so great stuff as well and so you should be able to pick up some great tips on how to build and scale your own HMO portfolio by listening to this incredible episode. Now if you love this episode as much as I enjoyed actually recording it with Matt, then please, please, please share it around. Um, Instagram is the best place to do that. Take a screenshot, put it to your stories, tag me and Matt in it, and we will share it all over Instagram. And hopefully we can get as many people to listen and share the value as possible. So here we go. Without any further ado, let me introduce you to the amazing Matt Baker. And today on the Game of Loans podcast, I'm very, very happy and excited to be joined um, by Matt Baker. Thanks very much for joining me today, Matt. Sun's out and um, everyone's happy, right? Yeah, totally. It's been an amazing uh, couple of days. Um, so, but thank you for having me. No, no, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on because I've been wanting a bit of an HMO specialist to come on for a little while because I know that it's a, a subject that a lot of my clients in particular, a lot of listeners are really keen to hear about. But before we sort of dive into that, um, Matt, I'd love for you to just take to the stage for a few seconds to sort of introduce yourself property, uh, property properly. Obviously, I've got property on the brain. That's good. Um, <laughs> uh, and let everyone know sort of who you are and what you do, if that's all right. Yes, yeah, well, uh, I'm Matt Baker. I'm the co-founder of uh, two businesses, the HMO Platform and Scott Baker Properties. Um, on one side, I'm a developer of HMOs and co-living properties. And on the other side, I coach landlords how to grow their existing uh, portfolios, specializing in HMO and co-living properties. So we use um, what I would call a tenant-first method to grow uh, our, yeah, our portfolio focusing on you know, the tenant, putting them at the heart of everything that we do. Uh, and using that, you know, we've built a portfolio of about you know, 3.8 million pounds in our first three years. So we got busy, and so that was exciting. Uh, at the moment, I'm kind of uh, launching a book on how to create epic and high-yielding co-living properties where tenants love to live. So that's what I'm working on at the moment, um, kind of a bit, bit with a wider vision to create a positive impact on HMO and co-living communities across the UK, which give lifelong peace of mind to uh, and well-being for both tenant and landlord. It's a big thing for us is to focus on uh, that well-being piece of the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. Before we crack on into the world of HMOs, um, I have to ask you, because we were talking a little bit off air, and I did notice on your Instagram <laughs> story, the beer. Talk me through the beer. You've got your own uh, branded beer that goes along with the company P- property and beer not necessarily two things that have traditionally gone together but you, you found a way talk me through that yeah well there's a will there's a way um and when there's a brewery down the road <laughs> there's definitely a way <laughs> there's definitely a way uh, so yeah i was in a networking event and this guy stood up uh, it's one of, it was a breakfast networking event so it was about half or six in the morning this guy stood up and gave it like um stood up with a can of beer and he said uh, we do branded beers for businesses and i thought well, that sounds interesting and he handed around this beer and um you he kind of opened it and you had to pour it a little bit into your glass and try it at half six in the morning and um so it all went round and um yeah i kind of liked it and i got at the end of the networking event i went and chatted to him and i said well i'd be quite interested in um, finding out a bit more about this this branded beer that you do you know how does it work and he basically said that um, they will brew their normal batch um but um, what they'll do is they'll stick a label on it's your own designed label um, and then you can use it in your own way so um niall and myself so niall scott's my business partner 
in the Scott Baker properties. Um, so we went down to uh, the microbrewery down in East Brighton uh, called Loud Shirt Brewery. Big shout out to, um, to the guys there. Uh, so yeah, we went down there and uh, the meeting was about five o'clock. We turned up at five o'clock. They were just in another meeting. They said, oh, would you like a beer just to you know, hang out? And it's probably about a year ago. It was in summer last year. And uh, so I said, yeah, oh yeah, I'll, I'll try a beer. So Niall and I had a pint each. And then we came around and uh, had this meeting. And they said, well, this is how it works. This is how much it costs. Um, you have to order a minimum of a thousand. And we're like, okay, that's quite a few beers to get through. <laughs> Uh, but we and I kind of kind of went through it and and thought, yep, yeah, okay, let's give it a go. Um, which and they said, which beer would you like? And I said, well, well can we try them? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So then um, another <laughs> and another four pints later, uh, we'd gone through all the different beers that they have, and and uh, we chose the ones that we liked. We're glad that we did because Niall and I there were a couple that would just not our cup of tea. Um, or pint of beer as, as it were um, and uh, yeah then we chose one that we really liked and then um, about two months after that went down to the brewery we helped to make it so we actually poured in, in the hops into the into this what do you call it it's not a still it's like a it's a big metal big tub in it yeah big yeah. tub where they put it in and they boil it all and they make it so yeah we put the hops in and we even shoveled out the the old uh, stuff so if you go even further back on our instagram i think you'll find some posts of us um, shoveling um, the, old, the, the, the pellets out and we've actually got a video of us doing the whole thing and it's still sitting in my phone uh, and i need to get it edited um, to get show it on the, youtube the, yeah that'll be the an formation awesome the formation of scott baker brew that's amazing I'm, I'm, while you were saying that, I was thinking they, they've obviously got a pretty good sales tactic whereby um, they get you a little bit pissed. <laughs> and then they're like, so you think this is a great idea? Give us your money. You're like, yeah, take it. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, pretty much. It was, it, we, we were sold there and there and then. Amazing. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm already thinking this is, this is something I need, I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to do this a hundred percent one day. So I'm going to nick the details off you <laughs> and just be, completely <laughs> jump on the back of your idea. <laughs> well, um, yeah, fundamentally, I, I, I think I know for a fact we're the only property company that has, uh, has their own beer. Um, I'd love to be the think... only brokerage that, that has its own beer. I think I, I can't yeah. think of another brokerage that would have its own beer. No, not at all. And I think to be honest, you're the only brokerage you could probably get away with it as well. So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> I just that, imagine that, that's, like not, a, that's not the percentage of the beer, by the way. 100%. It would be significant. 100%, 100% beer. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that we could, we could, I'm sure we could find some kind of really stupid tagline that would work. <laughs> yeah, 100% beer, 100% loan to value. Yeah. Yeah. 100% hop, hops to value. Yeah. <laughs> hops to value. HTV. HTV. Oh God, this is, it, I, the, the, I always tell people that on, on these podcast interviews, we always go off on tangents and um, yeah, this is already starting to be yet another example of that, that occurring. Um, but yeah, no, cause I saw it because you were celebrating Father's Day with, with your dad and, and, a, and a can yep. of your own brew, which, which, you know. Yes. So, so Father's Day and so my dad's Father's Day, well, my dad's, obviously my dad's Father's Day, but Father's Day and my dad's birthday fall within two days of each other. So it's actually yeah. his birthday this week. And, um, uh, because we've got you know, quite a few beers, I may or may not have 300 of them in my kitchen right now. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, he likes beer. 
So his Father's Day present and his birthday present was beer. <laughs> I mean, you know, what else do you want? What else do you need? I can't yeah, imagine well, anything better. No, and no, a gorgeous summer like we're having at the moment. Yeah. And um, sit out in his garden and, uh, and have some uh, Scott Baker brew. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love this idea. It's absolutely cracking. But um, don't want to make the entire podcast obviously about beer because a lot of people are going to be tuning in to hear about uh, HMOs and yeah, gin. Probably hit gin. Yeah. <laughs> gin of loans. That's that's the yeah. <laughs> the, the gin of loans. Yeah, that's the that's the, the next the next podcast. I'm just going to start making just loads of podcasts that was the play on on the on the on the same phrase, just about different alcohol. Be um, yeah. that, that worked for me, I think. But um, getting back to the to the, the the topic of discussion, which is HMOs, take us back actually. Um, first of all, Matt, to when you first sort of got into property, did you always know that HMO was going to be where you were going, or was it after a little bit of education that you, you then sort of started to focus on that? I suppose you kind of have to go a little bit before property because um, I didn't know that I was going to be doing property. Uh, I kind of fell across it. Um, when I was learning about growing my a business that I had beforehand. So before property, I was a musician, a freelance musician and a piano teacher. So I used to do session work and I had a music school. And it was when I was trying to grow that music school that I went to a networking event to learn about business growth. And there was loads of people talking about different business opportunities and property came up as did um, Forex trading and public speaking and you know, all of these different ideas. Uh, the, entre- the, you know, the entrepreneurs may or may not do. And uh, I kind of was intrigued by the property things. I'd always, always known that it was something that I wanted to do. I'd always known that um, I, I would go into it eventually. But I always thought that I would I'd kind of make it as a musician first and foremost, and then um, you know, invest the money that I made as a musician into property. Where when I, on, on that day, um, about five, just over five years ago, uh, I was like, actually, I make make money in property first, and then invest that into yeah. into music, creating some really really cool music. So it's, that's the position that I'm in now. But when it came to HMOs, um, I kind of learned about you know, buy to lets, HMOs, and you know, having a a diverse portfolio of of assets, which was um, kind of the way that I was taught, and uh, I'm still a believer in that, uh, despite having a very HMO heavy portfolio um, we, we still buy buy to lets and do buy to lets in the process of refinancing a, just a one to two bed flat conversion we're doing in Scotland mm-hmm. so we still do those on the side even though we, we mainly talk about um, the HMOs and co-living stuff but um, uh, yeah I've always wanted I've always wanted to create really great shared living from yeah. when I when I started looking at property um the very first hmo i did was the first property i bought i bought two on the same day a, a bungalow um and uh, a house which became a five bed hmo and i did those both with my with my mum and uh, my mum and dad and um we yeah we managed it ourselves and i, I always wanted to yeah, have move impact so when someone moves in they get this stick care package of stuff i always wanted to have uh, you know a, a community within the property um but i didn't really know how to go about it so i kind of gave it a little go and then um the reality of managing hmos kind of dawned upon me i was like well I, that's not the bit that really flows my boat i really love doing the development side the filing properties the financing and all of that um but i still want this great community but i'm probably not the one to deliver it or to um to manage it so um, I handed that over to a management agent and then 
uh, started to grow the portfolio as the investor and the developer. Um, but then with this you know, thought of creating a great co-living space as um, the, you know, the end result. Yeah. I mean, you've mentioned co-living and HMO kind of almost and, and the word community as well. Um, and I'm always interested because the, the term co-living space, I mean, if we go back many, many, many years, HMOs yeah. were basically, or an HMO was kind of called a bedsit, wasn't it? Then it went through, yeah. now it's HMO. And now we've got this new term co-living. To, to you, is there actually a difference between an HMO and, and a co-living space? Or can the terms kind of be more sort of intertwined than that? So I fundamentally believe that that they're different things so um, but they go together so an hmo is a technical definition it's the house of multiple occupation it is um it's used by you can be used to describe a like a you know, a bed sit which some might describe as a slum it could be described to use a, um, as like a really great shared living property which has been designed really really nicely so the word hmo um covers too broad a spectrum of um, assets. So, uh, and they perform very differently. They have very different tenant types. They're very different tenures. So we much prefer to look at, um, you know, take that HMO to a different level. So we use the term next level HMO, which we've coined as our own. Love and um, so, so when we use next level HMO, that's what we mean. We mean a kind of more of an epic property where tenants love to live. They love to, you know, they pay and they stay. So we get a better, um, rental amount we generally get 20 percent above market rent um, we generally get um tenants to stay you know, well over a year our longest tenants been with us three years um so it's actually increasing profitability through increasing tenant experience so that's what our next level hmo uh, does and co-living um is what is, is the kind of the glue that holds it all together um it's the that's it's it's more of an intangible thing the hmo is the tangible assets the building you create the co-living is that sense of community and that sense of community needs to be created in in kind of one of two well in two different ways the first way is through creating a property which encourages socializing encourages uh, people to be able to talk to each other and actually form meaningful relationships and then the second thing is in the management of the property. So you could create a fantastic looking property with good spaces. Um, but if it's managed badly, then you're not going to have co-living. So co-living is not about the asset. It's, it's almost the wrapper that goes around the asset that was where the magic happens. Yeah, and no, I, I love that. And um, so I suppose in a way, you kind of think, well, HMO is kind of the, 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 the big thing and then the the next level hmo or the normal hmo or the co-living are kind of maybe types of hmos is that how you kind of describe it then i wouldn't say co-living is a type of hmo i would say you've got the hmo covers everything it's a very broad topic i'd say a next level hmo is a very well designed property that um, tenants would love to live in and then co-living is the wrapper that goes around it um, once you've created it yeah. um, it's not a thing co-living is more of um, um, the essence of your business that which has community within it I like that that's that's a nicer way of looking at it actually I think and I, and I love that term next level HMO um, and it's stimulating all sorts of images in my head but what so what makes what makes a, an HMO a next level HMO different to a normal HMO, what would you do to that property to, so that you could label it next level? Next level, okay. So uh, generally you've got um, 
uh, probably larger spaces, larger rooms. So all the rooms we do uh, are um, kind of double size rooms, so over 10, 10 and a half square meters as a minimum. Um, we generally have en suites as a requirement as well. Um, but, but um, in some areas uh, and some projects you might do, for example, um, you know, one bathroom for two people. So that would be you know, a bit of a criteria uh, for next level HMOs. Something which has been design led. So uh, you can design a property really you know, nicely and you can make it look like a hotel room um, where you might want to stay for a couple of nights. And I've seen some fantastic looking properties you know, in the Facebook groups and HMO groups where uh, you have... Uh, yeah, a, a great designer who's um, designed a property which you want to which you maybe stay in for a week but you wouldn't want to stay in there for a, a year because it's it, it, it's too in your face it's it, it's attractive you get attracted and drawn into it but when you're actually living in it you don't want to stay for a long period of time it's like, so a, theme, like a, theme toss, uh, a themed hotel kind of situation a themed hotel is great but you get it gets old very quickly yeah so there's this middle ground where you can create a really well-designed-led HMO, which is designed for the tenant well-being as uh, you know, first and foremost. Um, and then people just go, oh, that's nice. They don't necessarily really go, wow, that's bloody amazing. I want to go and just move in just so I can see what it's like. And they want to go, yeah, that is really cool. That looks like somewhere that could be my home for the next you know, two to three years. So that's what um, the next level HMO would be. From an investment perspective, uh, it's, we would generally take a next level HMO through planning permission uh, because we love work, you know, getting planning gain, working with commercial values um, and getting commercial valuations on every project we do. So um, from an investment perspective, the next level HMO generally has planning permission. So either in an article four area or sewer generis planning. Um, and also it might be a, a building which was a commercial building, which has been turned into uh, you know, cluster flats or cluster units. So you can have um, a bunch of um, three or four or five bed uh, HMOs within one building. Um, and then just once they're designed well, um, we, we, we've done lots of tenant research actually. We've put surveys out. And so very shortly, there's, we're going to be launch, uh, well, releasing um, a report, which was the outcome of our shared living survey that we did earlier this year. And within that, we found that tenants uh, are happy to share with three or four other people. Um, that's what they're happy to share facilities with. So if you know that, then you can design your property so that even if it's an eight bed HMO, you might have a really nice, big, open living space. Um, but you know you're probably going to need a couple of spaces for eight people. So groups of three or four can hang out. Yeah. Um, but you probably want a large space where they can all hang out together as well. Yeah. So th these are the types of things you're thinking about when you're designing um the properties yeah so i mean I, I know from a mortgage perspective obviously the communal areas are very very important and i think one of my biggest frustrations actually from that side is when i'll speak to a client that maybe is you know, actually quite experienced as an hmo landlord but just continually just doesn't quite grasp the concept of the, the you know the communal spaces is really important so from my side it's necessary a lot of the time to get the best mortgages out there for hmos but also as you're saying it actually just creates that sense of community as well and, and gives people a nice space for them to hang out together, which is, you know, it's their home at the end of the day. They want to hang out together and get on, don't they? Yeah, no, exactly. And the more they hang out together, the more they create that sense of community, then um, the, the happier they will be, the more likely they are to pay their rent, the more likely they are to stay a long period of time. So it just makes financial sense. It makes, um, uh, you know, human sense. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose there's the... the 
obviously there's the negative as well of the HMOs community that it might actually go wrong. Um, and I've certainly had uh, my fair share of stories over the years from my clients telling me about, yeah. um, I mean, I think somebody told me about, uh, there was a, they were called up because there was a feud over who had eaten somebody's cornflakes or something um, and it got violent. <laughs> um, have you have you have you got any stories like that where where there's been pro- problems with uh, with people hanging out together and not getting on? Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, the, the old infamous "Who stole my cheese?" kind of um, stories. Uh, no, we had one. Uh, the police were called to one um, incident. Uh, so there's two ma- two major incidents that um, stick out in my mind, um, and these are properties that. Um, one was my very first HMO and I wouldn't necessarily say that that was our, one of our better ones because obviously we've learned and we've uh, improved what we do over time. And I'm not going to say that our portfolio is perfect. It's not by any means. There are properties within it which are maybe slightly different strategy to a next level HMO strategy because that's how we started. But um, at the very beginning, uh, it was uh, two of our very first tenants that I had chosen um, and maybe I wasn't the best judge of character. Uh, I was lured by the prospect of having tenants paying rent. Like the <laughs> first time you ever get your tenants paying rent, you walk in and it's like, yes, I'll take you. Thank you very much. Um, and you listen to everyone that's spoken to you in the past. You, you've done your course and they say, don't take the first tenant that walks through the door. They, you know, do the referencing and do the, <laughs> do this common sense check. Um, but I was just like, yep, okay, you can have the room. You seem nice. Um, and uh, kind of piece these people together. But then, you know, one guy was Romanian, the other guy was Polish. Um, there had been a, uh, you know, some kind of thing happening at work. That so there was a, 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 they knew each other kind of through the ether. And there was something that had gone, gone wrong. And one guy, I think, was stoned. Um, and, um, yeah, it was quite a, an angry young man, it turned out, when he was drunk or stoned. And, um, yeah, kind of basically started beating up the other guy. Um, for a reason that I can't really remember, it was pre- it was it wasn't a particularly oh, good um, a good one. Um, so the police were called um, and um, taken away from, and the, yeah, the guy was taken away from the property. So I'm getting phone calls on a Friday night where I'm at, I'm at a networking event uh, from uh, the the. Well, I had a person working for me at the time who had the property phone, and she just called up and said, "Well, this is what's going on." And so I had to ring around some friends and just find out like, what do we do? Um, and uh, I had a, I was actually with a, a, fr- a colleague who um, was an ex-copper, and he said, "Make sure he presses charges because if he presses charges, then they can't put them back in the same house together. So it's not going to go any further." So we basically said to the guy, you know, "Just make sure you press charges because um, uh, yeah, it means that he's not going to come home because like I'm not going to feel safe in my own home if this guy's just beating me up." So uh, so yeah, uh, he pressed charges and uh, he didn't go home. And uh, yeah, we um, the next day we went round, uh, me and my mum in the car, and we sat, sat him down and um, said, "You obviously can't." Yeah, we met outside the house. And we said, "You obviously can't stay here anymore. Um, you happy to move out? Um, we'll give you a refund for any monies that you've overpaid." So we refunded him about two weeks worth of rent. Um, he we supervised him going and getting his stuff out of the room and um, and changed the code on the door, and he was gone. So that was probably the most dramatic. Or maybe not the most, because there's another one, actually, in a property in the Midlands, uh, we had one tenant who um, <laughs> who would, would um, steal other people's car keys and drive their cars on joyrides. That is insane. <laughs> I've never, never heard that before. 
that's insane. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it was quite easy for them to find out, but was he doing this for quite a long period of time without anyone knowing? Um, he, well, I think he'd done it maybe two or three times before people had cottoned on. Um, but yeah, it was just obvious when he would just drive the car back and put it in a different place. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you've got to be, you've got to be yeah. careful about that. I was actually thinking that maybe they might think stupid things like as he moved the mirror or moved the seat in the car. Right. Yeah, much more stupid than that. He just put the car back in a different place. But he started I mean, to really annoy the other tenants to the extent that all the, all the other tenants moved out and this guy stopped paying the rent and so he had to evict this guy. Um, he was the, one of the last tenants left in the property. Um, and that, took, that whole process probably took about six to nine months to sort that all out. Oh, but that man. is definitely not one of our next level HMOs. That, again, was one of our first properties, yeah. um, which is a bit smaller. It, uh, we bought it because it's got the potential to be an amazing property. Um, but we did it as a five-bed HMO just to start with. And it's a, it's a nice property. Um, but again, we had it with an agent. And um, we wondered whether the agent might have been very quick off the mark to put people in to impress us. Because it was one yeah. of the first people that they put in for us. Um, so uh, yeah, these things happen. Um, yeah. And uh, I think if anyone says that working with HMOs is, is, is roses, I think they're lying to you. Yeah. I think that this is this is something that I come up against quite a lot because um, obviously again I think of things from the finance perspective and a lot of the time I'll get prospective new clients coming to me no experience and they'll be like right I just want to get I want to get into HMOs and I kind of you know I'm thinking from a finance perspective you know actually it's quite difficult with no experience and potentially no uh, no home of your own that you own either to actually get an HMO mortgage is quite tricky um, but also there's that experience level as well of you know, if you haven't even had the, the experience of managing just a single let, you know, that step up to managing HMOs, even if you have a, um, a sort of an agent or, or a property manager in place, it's still quite tricky. So, it, and you've kind of alluded to it there that, you know, it's not, it's not all roses, but people just think about the bottom line, don't they, that they're going to get more money. Yeah. Um, but they need to take on, on board the other stuff, which is probably more relevant. Yeah, no, no massively, because I think um, if you get HMOs wrong, it can become a, they become a huge liability because they can make you a lot of money. But in the same vein, if you get a property which, for example, suddenly becomes empty, like that five bed HMO became empty, that became a liability for us. So, mm. actually, for about you know, three to four months, it wasn't making us any money, it was actually costing us money to have it because this one guy caused so many issues. Um, obviously, well, th thankfully, that's one out of you know, over 100 tenants that's causing that problem. And um, when you do things, I suppose, more in, in the next level HMO way, uh, which is an evolution from those types of properties that we did in the past, uh, we never really have any issues. And we look at what's happened over COVID-19, the pandemic, all of that. You know, we've had very few issues at all. Um, so all of our tenants have been paying bar one. Uh, we've had people lose jobs and then find new jobs. You know, the people that are in the properties are generally quite proactive that you we can talk to them we communicate and um and there's there's, there's no real issues at all um with those types of uh, properties um they're, they're, they're fewer and far between yeah way. so what would you what would you if you just were thinking one thing that you put that down to um where you've had some issues in the past but don't touch wood tend to have as many anymore is there is there one particular thing that you would put that down to that you know, someone listening could pick up as a bit of a nugget and go, right, if I implement that in my, my strategy, that's going to really help me from avoiding some yep. of the issues with tenants. Well, I think the first thing is prevention is better than the cure. 
so um referencing doing sense checks on on your the people before they move in um seeing whether they they, they fit with the existing tenants in the property um so uh, involving the existing housemates in that decision of you know, who's going to be moving in i think can be quite powerful mm. so i know i've lived in hmos before um i still rent myself and uh, you know, I've li lived in HMOs in London and very much it was a case that the room was advertised by the house. Um, I went, I was interviewed by the house and then um, the first time I got to know about the landlord was actually after the housemates had chosen me and then I went through referencing. And I think that approach can work quite well and, and that property, you know, they're you know, great houses to be in because you're, you know, you're being selected for a personality and getting on with people and, and you can take that approach when you know when finding people uh, the, the right people obviously you do the due diligence you do the checks if you're managing it yourself you, you, you want to know things like can they afford it like where do they work are they on temporary permanent contracts you know, all, all that kind of standard stuff um, but then it's that gut feel as well so if you get a gut feeling that the person's maybe not quite right then it's probably not right yeah um yeah, someone once said to me, "If there's any, if there's any doubt, there is no doubt." Um, I like that. Yeah, that's 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 a good way of thinking of it. So, so, do you kind of, I suppose, is it almost like a three-stage approach in that regard, where you might say through the standard stuff, create a bit of a shortlist, the housemates then pick somebody their preference from that shortlist, and then they kind of come back then round to you through the, you know, the, the, the standard stuff. Yeah, you could view it in, in one of two ways. Um, you could just um, advertise the room, um, do the viewings, and then uh, you know, run, you know, introduce that person to the house, um, either through a technology, so using an app or you know, WhatsApp or something like that, so they can chat, um, or doing block viewings uh, where um, you show the property or your agent shows the property and the, te and the tenants are there as well, so they can show the, you know, they can ask questions and get to know them and get a sense of them. Um, and then you, you do the referencing after, afterwards. Um, yeah. But actually, one thing that we're exploring is being able to just take ourselves out of that whole filling of, refilling of a room and um, letting the, the tenants do it um, and, and working, finding a way how they would be more willing to find tenants or find a new housemate. Because mm. I suppose then it becomes quite sort of organic then that say you had a five bed HMO and you've got four people in there and you're looking for, for, for a room to be filled. They kind of find that person. Then somebody else, one of those original four might leave and then the other four find a replacement and it just continues on and on and on then. And there's, you can, you can then almost over a period of time track, you know, all of the relationships that they've all kind of had throughout that period. And it just maybe becomes a bit more fluid like that. And kind of takes you out of the equation and, and lowers your workload so quite a good way of doing it I th uh, yeah i think so and actually it's um you know there's nothing better for any business than your clients shouting about what you do so if you provide a great service for your tenants then they're going to shout about living in this house so if you've got a great next level hmo and you manage it so that it has a set that, that co-living community then the tenants are going to come in and go, wow, these guys, you know, they do, they, they put on a beer and pizza night. They, um, we have socials every couple of months. Um, you know, we, you know, we get discounts at the local takeaway because the landlord cares about us and all this kind of stuff. So they then pass that information on to their mates and say, oh, I really would love living in this type of property. Um, you guys want to move in. 
So actually what you do is you end up creating a, um, a, a supply demand in your favor so that actually more people want to live in your properties than in anyone else's. Mm. And um, therefore you never have any issues filling rooms. So you then create yourself a waiting list of people that want to move into your property um, and out of someone else's. Yeah. And that's the position you want to be in. So I call it being in the top 5% of all HMOs in town. So you're in the top 5% of HMOs, then you never really have any issues. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I think um, I've heard your, your um, business partner talk a little bit about that as well, about creating like a, uh, a vibe of, um, of that you, you always want a, basically almost like a waiting list, really, a ready-made waiting list. And actually yeah. have it, being in that position where you can kind of, um, and this is one of the questions I was going to ask you, where you kind of answered it yourself in terms of actually being in a position where you can turn people away that don't fit you know, you're, you're in control, you're deciding who comes in, you're not desperate to just fill rooms, you can fill those rooms with the right people that, you know, it's just, and then it's a snowball effect, it just gets better and better as the years go on. Yeah, no, exactly. And as you become known in that area as a good provider of accommodation, or you have good relationships with local businesses um, that bring staff to an area, so they know that they're going to be looked after um, as well so there's many ways that you could fill a room mm. um, but the best one is through your existing clients as you know yeah well i suppose it's like any it's like any business referrals are always yeah. going to be the best best type of uh, business aren't they yeah um, exactly but i was interested in what you were saying a little bit at the beginning and i was going to ask you um a little bit about this and again sort of going off on a slight tangent is this um, more, about, more about beer again yeah no not about the beer <laughs> about 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 the music but not necessarily the music but the, yep. the fact that it's a business aspect that is non-property related um and i tend to get um lots of different types of clients and, and one type of client so client i would say is is the type that that manages both the property side and a business side that are separate they're not they don't interact with one another but they very much balance out and they very much help one another and there's kind of a almost a symbiotic relationship in terms of flowing of, of cash and, and and support and um i think in in these kind of times where we've you know we, we've, we're going through quite a tricky economic period um having that stability of of two different types of businesses works really well so how does that um and I know that this is maybe something more for the future for yourself, but how in, in how does that create maybe a better overall business situation for yourself, having both the property sort of the asset led business and then maybe the, the music, which might be the more trading style business. How, how do those, in, will those interact with one another? Okay. So it, I've essentially got three businesses that kind of interact, but then, then don't. So we have the, as I said at the beginning, the, um, the development business where we're building assets, we're creating long-term cash flow. That's a, a future um, legacy building style business, um, which obviously creates cash flow over the time. Um, and then we have the, the trading training business. So where we're um, you know, working with other developers to help them grow their portfolios. So that is a trading business, um, which obviously is linked to properties. Like this is what we do and this is just how we do it. Um, and the music is, I suppose, my third wheel. Um, so I try to call by the sounds of it. It's my third wheel, <laughs> um, which, um, which is essentially the creation of of, um, of new music. So I used to be more of a teacher and have a music school, but I sold that a couple of years ago. So the music business at the moment is just creating music and recording music, and 
in terms of that isn't necessarily a business which makes money so it, i think it's possibly different to other people's you've maybe got a trading business um that, that that can make money so like our training business makes money as a as a trading business and then on the music business is more of a a, a hobby a passion project it's a passion project uh, but as with everything i've got two passions in life one which is creating great businesses one which is creating great community and obviously that's why i do hmos i really love that um with the music what i love is bringing people together bringing musicians together and creating something which is better than the sum of the parts mm. and um at the moment we're working on an album that that definitely does that um ticks those boxes and um you know we will be over the, over the long term my intention is to you know to, ha- to have and run a recording studio which would be kind of out somewhere in west sussex and yeah. um and have something where people can come and stay and record um i know it's um at the moment well, well with technology as well you can do so much online so much on a laptop um but there's something about going away and getting a, you know getting out of your existing space um we do it we go on retreats to work on our own business um so what i wanted to create for musicians is a place where they can come it's a retreat where they can uh, write they can record um and also uh, on the selfish reasons i can use the studio as well and it's yeah. going to have my, my, my really nice piano in it and um so that's what i really want and, and that we will make a business um as long as it's at least self-sustaining i'll be very happy um if it makes a profit i'll be ecstatic um and uh yeah i think that's there's a lot there's a lot of uh, uh potential um in in creating a business which again is creative i've always been in creative businesses so you know music and you know properties the creative side of it i really like coming up with creative solutions i really like dealing with like planning permissions and you know working with the designers um and you know being creative with finance as well this thing is something which i quite like um much to the uh, annoyance of the brokers that we, we currently use <laughs> do you know what you were just saying there reminds me of um, a story from one of my my clients where um I always ask my clients, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you actually in property? You know, what, what's, what's the end goal? Um, surprising how many of them just pluck random figures out of the air. Oh, I just want to earn this amount of money. But um, 10 grand a month, that's, that's the, uh, the number everyone wants. 10 yeah, grand a month. 10 grand a month is, is what everyone wants. But um, yeah. um, this one particular couple, they surprised me because they actually said, well, the idea um, is that we need to, we want to build this amount of cash flow per month. Um, we've set ourselves a goal of this amount of time to do it because our real passion is, um, and I can't remember exactly what the um, what it was, but it, they basically wanted to start a charity, a non nonprofit, um, to help this this particular problem. And um, they said, you know, and that effectively that was it was a nonprofit. So it's the whole point of it is it doesn't make profit, but they they were they were using property and an asset base that was income generated generating to create the foundation to allow that to happen. So I suppose. In a similar sort of way, your um, training business and your property empire, building property empire, is is there to allow you to the freedom to work on your passion project without necessarily the, um, the the constraints of this needs to pay my bills at the end of the day. Is that kind of how you would maybe see it? I think you put the nail, yeah, the nail on the head there because uh, what I found when I was doing when I was in my 20s doing gigs you know, we'd go out and do parties functions weddings and you know you play 
you, know, you play uh, you know Stevie Wonder track you know, a thousand times and it suddenly loses the magic that it has and um, that that original track actually has so um so for me it became a bit more of a chore mm. and the fact that I had to go out and play music to make an make a living um, playing other people's music was um, what was kind of turning me off it and that's why I went into the teaching side because that was more of a reliable income and uh, you could be quite creative with some of the students I was working with it was great but then with that as well there's only so many times I want to teach Twinkle Twinkle Little Star because um, anyone that knows me knows that I, you know, I like to do more creative stuff I like to um, do more maybe more advanced strategies and same with the piano. I really loved teaching people to write songs and to play jazz. I'm a jazz pianist. And um, so that's what I really loved. Uh, I'm working with kids that were you know, you know, like five-year-olds doing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. That's someone else's passion. That's not my passion. Yeah. I can see you creative because in the background, people that are listening will be able to see us. Is that a little sort of bongo that's sort of sitting out the back? <laughs> <laughs> you can see that yes yeah um, yeah so um we've got a little musical display at the top of the stairs here with um uh lara's um lara's late uncle's guitar um we've got the didgeridoo from my travels around australia for a year amazing we've got, um the bongo i can't remember where that that it's an african drum um and then there's another one as well around there um but what you can't also see is the fact that you're actually in my studio wow because you've got the keyboards are all set up to the, to the right and uh, yeah if i sent you a photo of this side you'll see the the monitors and the the gizmos here and the keyboard there and the piano, the piano downstairs so my office doubles as my studio so, so I, I i view like well, we moved into this house just before lockdown i'm so glad we did because we've got this attic space mm. and i view it as the creative space whether i'm creating music or creating uh content about co-living properties and the next level hmos it's all it's all the same bits of the brain that are firing so yeah um yeah there's just great gabba scott baker brew from the fridge bring it upstairs have a brew write some write some trumpet parts or um you know write a blog about co-living yeah for me that's that's the same fun i am so jealous i'm not i'm just i'm not i'm not gonna <laughs> lie because we uh, me, me and my wife we've um as, as I think I mentioned to you, we moved from North London to the West Midlands. Um, yeah. And, you know, like a lot of people that have quite great, great ambitions, I don't have the need really to show off those ambitions to other people in terms of what I wear or the, the place that I live. I don't, I'm not very much a keeping up with the Joneses style person. Um, often get called grubby and, and, you know, all sorts by the missus because I just hang around in t-shirts and jeans all day. Um, but, uh, but one of the, the negatives of that is that um, we recently got a new kitten um, and the kitten <laughs> has taken over my workroom, our spare room in our, in our relatively small flat. Um, it's actually quite a big flat, to be honest with you, but you know, it's not a big house like yours. And um, yeah, it's, my, my workspace has been completely taken over now by a kitten. So I'm very jealous that you have your creative space because my creative space has just been uh taken away from me um and i can see in the background all the all, you know it's, it's it's a very nice um space for you to be able to be left with your thoughts and you even managed to shoe in there the, the talking about the beer again so um so well done for that yeah very very jealous but um but there we go but but matt i'm um i'm just so thankful that you've taken the time out of your incredibly busy schedule i know you've got a lot of podcasting to do today because obviously 
you're also part of the uh, the team that produces the the Property Jam podcast. Yeah. A few if you're on um, later on today. So anyone that's listening to this that hasn't listened to our collaboration episode, by the way, should definitely rewind and go and check that out. Um, definitely go and subscribe to the uh, to the Property Jam podcast as well because it's absolutely fantastic um but yeah matt thanks so much for for coming on so apart from um going and subscribing to pop jam what else how what else can people do to, to go and follow you where should they go and check you out so uh you can find uh, me on instagram is matt underscore the edge of platform um and uh, linkedin is where i generally tend to hang out quite a bit uh instagram and linkedin um so just look for yeah matt baker um, I'm the one. Um, yeah. How, how do you find me? Because it's a very common name, unfortunately. Yes. Because I've, I'm also a Blue Peter presenter. Yeah. Um, I'm a country a jazz pianist. There's also yeah, country file. It's the same guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's also a property, another property developer called Matt Baker. If you just Google Matt Baker, I'm like page 110 whatever <laughs> I'll, um, I'll be I'll, I'll make sure that all the links go into the show notes so that people definitely <laughs> go and follow yeah. the right Matt Baker and don't sort of go oh I want to find out more about HMOs why is this guy talking about yeah um, walks in the country this is, this is country. strange this is this is odd no, the, 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 be, the best way to, to make sure it's me is just you just google Matt Baker property and then I come up which is uh, thankfully on the uh, the main Matt Baker property um, in town like you're the main sam norris money in you know money man in town yeah that's well that's why i put on, on my my handle on instagram the sam norris so people there's lots of sam norrises but i'm the you know the one that everyone should be should maybe be i'll try that it's like the matt baker the matt baker i wonder if, i wonder if the the tv matt baker has actually stolen that I might go have a look at that afterwards um and if, <laughs> if not take it quickly take it because <laughs> you'll probably get loads of new followers of people thinking that they might be following old country file blue peter matt <laughs> yeah well there's there's followers and there's quality followers yeah that's very true yeah as i was yeah. saying i was kind of saying no sam you, you're going against your own advice but um as you know matt i always finish off my podcast with the the, the you know the question the most important question of them all um concerning yep. my favorite uh, edible substance which is chocolate um Correct. now i know that you have actually technically already answered this question when we did the collaboration but um it's been a few weeks since we did it who knows you might have changed um so so matt what is your favorite chocolate uh, well, my answer hasn't changed because it's been my favourite chocolate for a very long time. And it's, as I said on the Property Jam uh, Game Alone's collab, um, it's it's just dark chocolate, like yeah. a good dark chocolate. Yeah, you seventy know, percent between seventy and eighty-five percent. Probably my favourite might be about you know, seventy-six and a half percent dark chocolate. So, is, <laughs> do, do, do you come across a lot of those just walking down the supermarket aisle? And it's just like, oh, no, I don't want the seventy. Uh, and I don't want the 80. It's when I go to. <laughs> it's, it's when you go to Lidl and it says you know, 85% dark chocolate. You look at the back and it says I don't know 77.5%. The rest is like water, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever other rubbish that they they chuck into it. I do know what you mean. I think you can get that. I mean, I, I'm a massive fan of dark chocolate as well. So yeah. um, I'm actually salivating thinking about it. It's pathetic, isn't it? Um, but uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah. If it's anything, I think anything above 80 is is. It's, it's starting to go too far in, in that direction. I'm, I'm still a fan of just a Bourneville, to be honest. I like a Bourneville. I haven't had a Bourneville in a long time. My, my favourite is actually the green and black 70%. Yeah, do you know, I'm, I think actually I might have had some of that last night. And I, I had a couple of, sorry, they weren't they weren't actually um, Scott Baker Brew uh, beers, but I did have a couple of beers last night. And I'm pretty sure that I had a, a green and blacks 70 or 80% 
um, chocolate last night, but I, I must, pro- must, must profess, I, I don't quite remember. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's just, it's just come flooded back to me. Um, yeah, that wasn't funny. That wasn't fun having to get up this morning and going to London, like I mentioned, because um, yeah, a little, little bit sore head, but you know, it happens every now and again, doesn't it? When, when you like the, uh, like the hops, but uh, there we go. Well, well, that is it. I've actually been drinking wine. Lock, uh, like lockdown has been you know, the wine capital for me, or the, the wine time. Uh, uh, <laughs> me, and me. Uh, since we got the beer, then it's gonna now it's gonna be uh, beer o'clock. Beer o'clock. Yeah, I, 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 me, me and wine do not successfully go hand in hand, unfortunately. If it, when it, I, I'm that person, never invite me to a wedding because I'll sit and I'll drink all the okay, red you wine wait, on the table. You can't, you can't come to my wedding then. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm saving you. I, I, I promise, I'm saving you. I'm, I'm the guy that drinks all the red wine on the table, and then he's first on the dance floor because he's he's a bit smashed. So yeah, so, sorry. Actually, to I, 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 t- I take that back. You are now coming to my wedding. Excellent. Great. Good. I've actually got I've got three weddings over the next uh, next uh, next year, so I'm uh, I'm looking forward to drinking a lot of red wine and then probably mixing that with a few beers later on. That's that's where it all goes wrong for me. But anyway, I'm uh, I'm, I'm revealing far too much. Um, Matt, again, thanks ever so much for taking the time out to, today to, to chat to us. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll catch up again on maybe a future um, part two of the Property Jam Game Loans collab, which would be uh, which would be awesome. Amazing. I think that'd be a fantastic idea. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on, Sam. You're absolutely most welcome. Thanks. Cheers, Matt. So that's it. How good was that? But let me ask you a quick question. Did you enjoy that episode? If you did, please, please, please do go on and write me a review and tell me what you thought on either Apple or Spotify. And if you think someone else might benefit from this, feel free to share this episode across social media. Thanks. Thanks.